0: Uh, Welcome back. Rob Brigham with you on QR Calgary. Well, yeah, it's been quite a journey over the last 15 months for our next guest uh, going from, uh, you know, the daily grind of municipal politics to all of that kind of suddenly coming to an end in the uh, election of 2021 and uh, going on a different path. Uh, Literally, Uh, Jeremy Farkas uh, has been uh, very busy and traveled afar uh, over the last uh, year and a bit. And in fact, it's the subject uh, of a short film called Going Far, a Pacific Crest Trail journey uh, that's going to be screening uh, January 26th, 7 to 9 p.m. at Canyon Meadows Cinema. Now, this is all in support of Big Brothers and Sisters. So bbbscalgary.ca. You can find out more about this uh, because this journey was in support of Big Brothers and Big Sisters uh, of Calgary and area. Now, we also got the announcement this week. uh, He's not done. Uh, Jeremy Farkas is going to be embarking on a new journey. Uh, coming up this month. So, joining us to talk about all of it is the uh, aforementioned former city councilor, former mayoral candidate, Jeremy Farkas. Jeremy, great to have you with us. It's been a while. Thanks for joining us here today. Yeah, a long time no chat. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, well, it's hard to know where to start, but let's, let's start with the announcement this week. Let's get to the newest news first so we can get to some other stuff. You are going to be climbing 25 peaks in 25 days. To uh, support uh, community and uh, and mental health a really interesting endeavor tell us about that
1: yeah how that for a new year's resolution yeah i woke up uh, january 1st and i started on mountain number 1 and as of the 10th i climbed 10 mountains and you know after returning from my trip from mexico to canada so many people reached out to me wanting to be part of a follow up effort and i knew i wanted to build on that momentum and you know I'll continue to grow and challenge myself and i'm just so grateful for this opportunity to be able to partner with the alex community health center and they've made a personal difference in my life uh, growing up in east calgary and the lives of uh, so many others i know and for life uh, we're all going to have our mountains to climb but uh, we don't need to go it alone and given the central challenge of this campaign i could think of no better partner than the alex as well as the work that they do every day to be able to serve uh, vulnerable Calgarians, particularly those facing poverty trauma food, food insecurity, and addiction and Everyone knows that issues like this uh, don't wait for a good time. And the start of the new year is a really good uh, time to do something like this because it's a particularly challenging time for charities to raise funds. And at the same time, the needs in the community are the most severe. So this is a really exciting uh, new opportunity. And also wanted to give a shout-out to uh, McLeod Law, which has funded $15,000 to be able to match those donations and to be able to double those contributions.
0: Yeah, more at uh, thealex.ca slash 25peaks. Uh, More on on this challenge and and if folks want to donate as well. Now, you know, we're, we're, what, 10 days into January. You've already done, what, 9 or 10 now already?
1: Yeah, I'm on uh, peak number 10, and that's about the cumulative elevation gain of climbing Mount Everest uh, from sea level, about 9,000 meters so far. (laughs) But uh, this new campaign is probably the first of several that I'm planning this year that's going to help me push to, to grow my abilities while inviting more Calgarians to uh, take part in community and on the plus side, uh, in contrast to my trip uh, from Mexico to Canada, this time I'm going to be able to sleep in my own bed every night. Yeah,
0: well, there's that. Well, we'll talk about that that journey, uh, obviously, and, and that was quite remarkable in support of Big Brothers and Sisters, but let's kind of go back to, to when you, you know, decided to do this, because obviously, if things had gone differently in, in October of 2021, you know, your last 15 months would have been, you know, incredibly different, You right? You would have still been in in politics and and on a much different path so coming out of that election and you know kind of going you know almost like cold turkey when it comes to politics it just kind of suddenly comes to an end you know you're processing the results of that election was this kind of the product of some some soul searching on your part
1: yeah and uh, i'd ask uh, your listeners just think back to the worst moment of your life and uh, what happened next yeah so for me i've been lucky enough to find out and It played out in television the night of the municipal election on October 18th and after a close race, I'd lost by a stunning margin. And looking out to that sea of disappointed supporters, uh, I began my concession speech and when I saw my mom begin to cry, I thought that my life was over. And, you know, the morning after, my phone rang and a mentor called me up and told me, you know, this isn't the first time and it won't be the last and don't take no for an answer. And uh, I really took that for heart and, and I thought that. You know, I have this platform, I have this brand, and it would be really disappointing if I just uh, walked away from all of that. So so I found ways to be able to continue to contribute in community, to be able to help build, and I support our new mayor and council, and uh, I know how hard it is uh, for them to be in that seat right now. So I'm just trying to find my own ways to be able to tap into that audience that uh, is interested in what I'm doing and to raise the bar and to try to challenge myself uh, even further and to be able to, you know, personally just be able to to grow as an individual and to really challenge some of my more professional skills, say, as an outdoorsman, as a wilderness first responder, and so on. What
0: well, can you tell us about conversation you had with uh, with former Mayor Nahed Nenshi?
1: Yeah, so it's interesting when uh, you're in a situation like that, a uh, very public loss, the people who are there for you and the people who aren't. And it was a very big surprise to me. There's all these folks that... I thought would have been my friends for sure. And all of a sudden they wouldn't uh, answer the phone, uh, now that I was no longer, uh, of use to them. And then there's people who, uh, I, I gave a hard time and people who gave a hard time back that, uh, uh, stepped up in such a big way. And, uh, one of them was actually former mayor and the head Nancy. And he was one of the first to try to get me out of the house, to take me for coffee, to get me to go see some movies and stuff like that. And, uh, he was actually one of the first people to endorse uh, that new campaign for big brothers and big sisters and he likes to joke that uh yeah through those council meetings he would always tell me to take a hike but he never once <laughs> meant it literally
0: well yeah you you took it literally so uh the the idea comes together then to to do this journey to do it in support of big brothers and big sisters but i mean the pacific crest trail people don't know this is basically 4,300 kilometers. It's a, it's a journey from Mexico to Canada. So why did you want to tackle this? Where did that idea come from?
1: Well, you know, it, it was actually it, it start a uh, bit misguided. You know, I, I started my journey from Mexico alone and really with a chip on my shoulder. And, you know, foolishly, I was there to try to prove to myself that I was still capable of great things. And particularly after that uh, election loss and Five months later, I think it was 170 days of that journey, setting foot back in Canada. Uh, I was with friends, and I realized, you know, I, I had nothing to prove, only everything to learn. And sometimes you got to learn the hard way that uh, life is not a straight line between successes. But let me tell you, man, there, there are valleys between those mountains, and a good mentor can really make the, the worst moment of your life into one of the best. And that work uh, that Big Brothers and Big Sisters uh, do every single day in the community, that was so central to uh my daily life when i was on trail knowing that i wasn't just out there doing something uh for really no reason but there is a yeah. uh, a goal and a value behind it and let me tell you calgarians have really stepped up in such a big way i think we're nearing about a quarter million dollars raised for their programming and man uh, this is such a small but ambitious and really mighty charity and for uh, an organization like this uh, it was so tremendous to to be able to make that level of impact. And I knew that uh, once I'd returned, I wanted to uh, follow up with that effort. And I know that uh, with the skills that I've developed in the backcountry, that uh, this new 25 peaks in 25 days for the Alex, uh, and this time a little bit different in terms of uh, the type of work, but really no less important.
0: Well, you mentioned how much money this was raised. I mean, your original goal was like a fraction of that. I mean, $50,000, which is a lot of money. That, that probably seemed like an optimistic target so when, when you first started this.
1: Oh, gosh, you know, I was so nervous, almost in tears before we announced it, because you really, you you never know who is there for you based on the politics, who is there for you based on a vote at city council, what you can do for them, versus who of your supporters are there for you on a personal level that will support you through thick and thin and... We announced the fifty thousand dollar goal, and I was really scared. I wasn't sure we were going to pull it off. To it now that I wasn't of use to anybody, now that I didn't have sway as a counselor. And then, by day one, the moment that I set foot on the trail, we had hit that fifty thousand dollar mark before I'd even walked, even a single day of the almost two hundred days. And it was exactly halfway that we had doubled the goal to another hundred thousand, and it was halfway on the journey that we hit a hundred thousand, and. I thought that, you know, this, this could not just keep going, so we're very modest. We said, okay, another $25,000 more. And by the time that uh, actually returned back in September as uh, Jay Westman with Jamin, who sponsored the uh, uh, Coming Home Party, we'd raised $225,000, which was just incredible. So I'm just so grateful for the fact that the Calgary community has continued to step up for me and uh, with me for these organizations. and. You know, it's not just the people who liked me politically, it's actually a lot of people who didn't like me politically, and this kind of journey has also actually helped me kind of come to terms with times that, you know, mistakes that I've made in the past, uh, things that I would have done differently, and really out there in the the wilderness has made me come to terms with some of my own ego and overconfidence to be able to uh, admit many situations that I'm in over my head. So, you know, I feel like the, the value has been incredible for these organizations, but it's also been incredible for me personally to get it's such an incredible gift of really knowing who your friends are.
0: Well, and just knowing yourself, I would imagine, you know, a journey like this, like just, you know, not only is this, this physical physically grueling, you know, just, you know, the, the time you spend alone, the time you have to really think and, and contemplate things, or contemplate life, you know, this, this kind of thing you, you learn a lot about yourself through, I would imagine.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there's a specific story that I I feel very uncomfortable sharing, but I probably should. So uh, we were in the high Sierra in May 2022. And if you're not familiar, this is just some of the most remote uh, parts of North America. And I was with a group of other travelers and we'd really overestimated our own capabilities. And we came upon this uh, mountain pass, and as the weather changed, it really became impassable and, and we were stuck in this situation unable to proceed and unable to backtrack and i i hate to admit this but i i need to and that i was responsible and for 12 hours we clung to the side of this cliff at an elevation of more than some like 12,000 feet uh, in one of the, <laughs> the wow. world's most remote places and we had to burn snow in our stoves for water and uh one mistake would mean uh, falling down plummeting into the, the ice and the rocks and it it really shook me, and I can still feel the embarrassment uh, for bringing things so close to the edge, but that failure, I should really emphasize my failure, was one of the best teachers, and I resolved that it wouldn't happen again, and it really impacted uh, everything that we did going forward. And We went on to be able to conquer the trail, including Mount Whitney, the tallest peak in the uh, contiguous U.S., and it actually earned me this uh, trail named uh, Pathfinder. And that's because of the events of the day, but not necessarily what the mistakes were, but what I did about it and It really allowed us to be able to prevent future fatal mistakes and I gradually regained my confidence and uh, most importantly the the trust of the people I traveled with and It was really, really tough to admit that I was in over my head, but they, I think there's a saying uh, when the student is ready, the teacher arrives, and yeah. <laughs> once I admitted that I was in over my head, the, the mentors I needed arrived in my life and I I learned something constantly, man, from 8-year-olds to 82-year-olds, first-timers, even seasoned veterans alike. And it's just an incredible journey. But it really means a lot to me to know that uh, it wasn't just me out in the wilderness uh, having this journey, but it was actually grounded in some really important work that uh, was needed here in our community. And I'm just so excited to be able to carry forward the momentum from that successful campaign to uh, this new partnership with McLeod um, Law and the Alex. And I think the time is just, it's so critical right now. Like uh, here in Calgary today, there are nearly 6,000 Calgarians every night who are experiencing homelessness and who are otherwise precariously housed, often living in really... Uh, uh, precarious situations with uh, really complex health and addiction issues and many can't access traditional medical care yet they're in really urgent needs so the work that the alex is doing is just so incredible uh, i know about it uh, growing up through uh, my time in east calgary and just really grateful that uh, calgarians have uh, at least turned their attention to what i'm doing and uh, i would challenge them to to take part to get involved and to support these great organizations
0: we well, got the 25 peaks in 25 days, and then that takes us to January 26th. I'd mentioned this, so your your journey on the Pacific Coast uh, Pacific Crest Trail, you, you documented a lot of this, so you've kind of turned it into, I, I guess, a film project. Tell us about this event on, on the 26th.
1: Yeah, so uh, on the 26th, and as you're so kind, uh, BBBScalgary.ca is where you can still get tickets. I think we have just a couple. Uh, the title is Going Far, and it comes from the sprays on the trail that uh, really they hammered into us and... It's if you want to go fast, go alone. And if you want to go far, go with friends. And through this 170-day journey, I, I took about, let's say, 90 hours of uh, footage, interviews with some of the, the first-timers, some of the veterans. Uh, I do interviews with uh, some of the uh, so-called trail angels, the people who go out of their way to be able to uh, help the, the travelers on their journey. and. I'd say it's a uh, just incredible celebration of the power of community and the importance of mentorship, and you know, it's it's something it's a journey that I can kind of talk about, but it has to be one that you uh, see and not just hear.
0: And what does the future hold for you? And, and is it a future that possibly in includes politics at some point, or how, how are you feeling about that path forward? Yeah, so
1: I'm uh, taking it just a day at a time, right now, uh, one mountain at a time. But okay. uh, there's no reason that uh, you have to go it alone. So I'm thinking of a couple other, I'm not quite ready to reveal it yet, but a couple other uh, projects similar to this to be able to help showcase uh, incredible local organizations. And, you know, I'm always going to have sort of my critics and uh, detractors out there and, you know, and many times it is warranted criticism, but... Uh, I think some of the critics would say that this is just to build a brand or to pro- build profile, but, you know, I've already turned down those offers to run in the provincial uh, election or in this new vacancy uh, in Calgary Heritage federally, and, mm-hmm. you know, it would be relatively straightforward to go back in a safe conservative seat, but for me I wanted to do something a little bit more uh, more ambitious. Uh, I wanted to uh, build upon that uh, profile, that platform I've been established, and to pay it back. And I, I really think about this uh, because there's so many people out there who would be disappointed in me, particularly people like my grandmother who uh, who just pounded into me when <laughs> growing up. Don't just be good, but be good for something. And I knew that uh, with this profile, it, it just didn't really make sense for me to go on to be some uh, industry lobbyist or to jump right back into politics. And, you know, the, the the result of the municipal election wasn't what I was hoping for, but I have to think that there's wisdom in the voters. And sometimes, you know, the politicians have to actually take the feedback that they hear and, at the end of the day, the voters get it right, and I think everything happens for a reason. So, mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't close the door to uh, running again in the future, but I feel like uh, I have some uh, much more ambitious goals, at least in the short term.
0: Well, very interesting, a really interesting perspective, too. So, uh, more at thealex.ca, also bbbscalgary.ca. Jeremy, congrats on all of this, and uh, great catching up with you here. Thanks so much for making some time for us.
1: Yeah, thanks again for the opportunity, and uh, again, reach out anytime if I can be of help.
0: You bet. Take care, Jeremy. There you go. That's uh, Jeremy Farkas, uh, former city councilor, former mayoral candidate, and uh, as mentioned, been on a very different journey of the last 15 months, one that continues. So 25 peaks in 25 days to support uh, the Alex Community Health Center, the Alex.ca, and this event coming up uh, later this month on the 26th. uh, To share more stories from the Pacific Crest Trail journey, Uh, January 26th at Canyon Meadow Cinemas. More again, as mentioned, bbscalgary.ca. we go welcome to this hour of the program rob Ridge, with you on a tuesday afternoon we got a lot still to get to later this hour conversation with comedian actor author mark critch a lot going on in his world he'll join us coming up after 2 30 a couple other things we're watching here this hour alberta premier danielle smith set to chat with reporters uh, we'll keep an eye on that you got the uh, three amigos uh, down in mexico city canada's prime minister the american president and the mexican president holding their summit they're set to address reporters later this hour so we'll keep our eye on all of that Now, uh, parliamentarians, uh, both of the House of Commons and the Senate variety, are still on winter break, but there's a lot of important business to attend to once they are back in the nation's capital. For the Senate, it means some further scrutiny of a couple of important bills that deal with big tech and social media bills C-11 and C-18. And so I did want to talk a bit about where things are at, but also as it pertains to social media and some of the broader conversations maybe Canadians are are having about their relationship with social media, the impact it's had on our discourse and on society. Uh, One senator says she is in the process of moving off of Twitter. Well, joining us to talk about all of this is uh, Alberta Senator, Independent Senator Paula Simons, uh, joining us on the line here this afternoon. Paula, Happy New Year. Thanks so much for being with us here today. Welcome to the program.
2: Happy New Year, Rob. I, I like being introduced by the Jay Gals band, you know.
0: <laughs> sure, absolutely. Happy to oblige. Uh, like I say, we've got a, a lot to chat about here. What, what's, what's the timeline here for for the Senate getting back to business and uh, what, what the first order of business is once you do resume?
2: Well, among the first orders of business, we'll be dealing with C-11. We are almost at the end of the C-11 process. Uh, we had very contentious hearings uh, late in the fall in which we proposed several very key and important amendments, I think, that make C-11, which is a problematic bill, uh, a, a somewhat better bill. This is the bill, for those of you who are not following the Senate as closely as I am, C-11 is the bill that deals with bringing online streaming services under the ambit of the CRTC and the yeah. Broadcasting Act. So this is, you know, Spotify, Netflix, Disney, to somehow make them be part of you know, the can-con conversation in terms of contributions that those companies make to the production of Canadian programming and also to be under some sort of, you know, uh, regulation by the CRTC. So this has been a controversial bill. Uh, We propose several key amendments that I think make the bill better and that clearly say that social media platforms uh, are not included, that individuals using social media platforms are not included in the scope of the bill. Uh, that we finished that just, just as the House and the Senate rose for the Christmas break. So we will come back a week earlier than originally scheduled. We will come back on January 31st and deal with third reading of Bill C-11. Uh, we will vote on the bill, and then assuming that the bill passes the Senate, we will send it back to the government and say we're sending it back to the House with these key amendments, and we'll see if they accept the amendments, which I think they ought to do. Uh, and then, as soon as we get that cleared away, we'll be diving into C18, which is the bill that proposes to force Google and Facebook into negotiations with major media outlets and small media outlets to pay them some kind of—I hate to use the phrase compensation—I don't think that's the right word for it—but to you know to force them to pay something to support Canadian journalism, about which I'm very torn. I, you know, I spent 30 years as a working journalist. Of course, I'm very keen to make sure that uh, Canadian journalism uh, survives the digital disruption. Mm-hmm. I don't know that the logic of C18, which compels Facebook and Google to pay up, is the right model. And I worry that as Facebook and Google cease to be the impregnable you know, megaliths that we thought that they were, that, th- th- that this may not work. Right, you know, asking asking companies that may themselves face financial problems to underwrite all of Canadian journalism may not be a workable model, but that is the bill that we're just about to begin studying. So I'm just, yeah. you know, I'm starting my my in-depth research is on it now.
0: Well, it's interesting because, you know, you think thinking back to when, when you were a journalist and if you wrote something you felt was important, you wanted people to read, you know, the idea that it would be widely shared is, is a positive. Same thing with us, whether yep. it's something I write or, you know, some, some audio content we created. People are sharing that and others get access to it. That's a good thing. So sharing stuff like that on social media, somebody posting a link to something I, I wrote or something I did, if they post that on their Facebook, Page. To me, that's that's a positive. I don't think they're they're stealing it, it from me. So this is, I think, where some of the confusion yeah. is. What is, that, is sharing a link on Facebook?
2: That's the hypocrisy that I feel is at the heart of this bill. I mean, I cannot tell you how many seminars I sat through on how to search engine optimize my headline on the amount of work we at the Edmonton Journal, when I was there, put into getting Google and Facebook to share our stuff. And it isn't just about ego and about getting your story shared. That was how newspapers monetized things, because it drove eyeballs to the journal's website, and the journal's website had advertising on it. So the idea was that we wanted social media, and we wanted Google News to share our articles as widely as possible. The problem was that we got into this kind of symbiotic death spiral. We gave away more and more and more of our content, and they took more and more and more and more of the advertising dollars. And the end result was, great, you you had lots of readership, but you didn't have any money. So I understand why the newspapers feel aggrieved, and not just aggrieved, but really, you know, existentially threatened, and not just newspapers, but, but broadcast too. Mm-hmm. You know, this is – the digital disruption has done – you know, has, has pushed conventional media as we knew it to the brink of, of, of extinction. And I understand and I support the idea of trying to do something to save journalism, especially local journalism, not just papers like the Calgary Herald and the Edmonton Journal, but papers like the Western Wheel and the, you know, the, 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 the uh, St. Albert Gazette. You know, We need to make sure that we have journalism that reports on our communities and keeps our local democracy vibrant. I'm not 100% convinced that C eighteen is the right method to solve what is a very real problem. Yeah,
0: yeah, that, that's going to be a tricky one. I, I also want to ask you. Now, I don't think C eighteen pertains to to Twitter or other sites, right? That's pretty specific to Google and Facebook. It's it's
2: specific, and this is the problem. As we watch Twitter melt down in real time, and as we watch, you know, there have been tens of thousands of layoffs at Facebook. Yeah. Uh, Facebook seems to have adopted this idea that it needs to be the new TikTok. Well. It's it's the old Facebook. It can't be the new TikTok, mm-hmm. um, and you know, uh, Mark Zuckerberg seems to be going all in on the idea of wanting to create this virtual reality metaverse of his. You know, if Facebook, if, if as we watch Twitter flounder, and we say to ourselves, well, suppose Facebook starts to flounder, mm-hmm. suppose we don't have to think to you know, it doesn't require all that much imagination. To think of Facebook floundering now we've hitched the wagons of failing news organizations to the you know to the future fortunes of a big American uh, social media site over which we have no control um, you know if if Facebook were to take the same turn that Twitter has, what would that mean for the integrity of Canadian news These are the things that I'm wrestling with.
0: Well, there's also, from your perspective as as a senator, uh, you know, as, as someone who you know, I think does a good job communicating with with Albertans about you know things that are going on in Ottawa, whether it's you know interviews like this or on social media, you know that dilemma in do you continue to make use of these platforms in the same way you did before, and in Twitter in particular, you've made a, a decision about remaining on Twitter. Tell us about that.
2: Yep. Oh, it's like a bad breakup with a boyfriend that I really loved who turned out to be not good for my mental health. Um, So yes, after I joined Twitter in 2009, I did so much of my journalism work, not just reporting, I mean, live tweeting and reporting the news on Twitter, but using Twitter to crowdsource ideas, to find leads. Uh, It was absolutely integral to the work I did as a journalist, to indeed, I might say, to the award-winning work I did as a journalist. I really relied on Twitter. And when I joined the Senate, I thought, well, this is a brilliant way to explain the Senate to people who are maybe skeptical about the Senate, who are maybe legitimately skeptical about the Senate, to to justify the institution and my own work there. And I loved Twitter. I mean, it appealed to all the best and worst in my nature. But the last few months on Twitter has become... It's just like a festering, pus filled sore of weeping, wounded, noth- awfulness. And I just I couldn't do it anymore. I mean, it was the day when uh, Elon Musk tweeted that his pronouns were prosecute Fauci. And I thought, wait a minute. Now there's an actual troll in charge of the platform. And, you know, I mean, it's homophobic. It's transphobic. It's, you know, it's, it's anti-vax nonsense. And I thought, I cannot give my intellectual property to Twitter anymore. And I thought about how much of my work I have given away for free on Twitter and I thought, you know what, it is not my job to underwrite Elon Musk. And some people have been quite angry about this. They feel that I'm sort of not being uh, as responsive to people and I can tell people that, you know, I am for now on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, I'm on YouTube, and now I'm on Mastodon. (laughs) So I've been tinkering around with Mastodon. I've found it a lot of fun thus far. Uh, you know I had 65,000 followers on Twitter and I've got 2700 on Mastodon so it's not quite the same experience but if other people are Mastodon curious uh, you can come check me out I'm on uh, I'm at politics at mastodon.CA which so, is mastodon without any vowels
0: right well I haven't tried it yet and I've, I've heard it's 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 a little bit awkward I'm, I'm kind of waiting to see how this all shakes yeah, up
2: I, I, I think Are exaggerating how difficult this is. You know, I'm I'm a 58 year old mom. I figured out (laughs) Mastodon. In fact, uh, I shocked my young staffers because they said, "Oh, we haven't figured it out yet." I was like, "Well, listen, this old if this old lady can figure out how to be on mastodon I'm pretty sure all the rest of you can too."
0: Right. I, I, I wonder, I mean, if, if other social media platforms, you know, eventually end up in, in the same place, like maybe there's some inevitability to all yeah. of this. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I I don't know what Elon Musk eventually plans for Twitter or what his endgame is here. And it's been confusing to watch all of this, if this is just about his own vanity and ego or he wants to, to be notorious in some way. Or maybe there's there's something more going on here. I don't know. But you know, maybe it's, there's something else going on here than just the, the whims of one man.
2: No, I mean, I try to live by the adage, never attribute to malice that which can be adequately explained by incompetence. Sure. So, you know, you could look at what happened in Brazil over the weekend and say, aha, you know, uh Twitter is being used to foment a coup in Brazil to overturn the, you know, the elected government. You could you know, you could imagine that Elon Musk is part of some complicated, you know, plot uh to to put far right people into power or as i think is probably more plausible he's just a spoiled child uh who's been told all his life that he's brilliant and he figured he could be smarter than everybody else on twitter i mean it's hard it, it, you know i talked about the politics of it but you know a lot of people are just worried about the security and the management of a company that apparently can't pay its the rent has laid off most of its staff um is operating as a vanity project and not, you know, I think we were all naive, though, about Twitter. I mean, you and I both spent a lot of time on Twitter. Uh, sure. You and I have lots of friends and family who spend lots of time on Twitter. Yeah. And I think, you know, we thought of it as this wonderful communal space where we could share ideas. And even if we didn't agree about politics, we could have interesting and passionate debate. And in the last few months, it's escalated uh, you know, a problem that, that has always been there but it's gotten so much worse the troll to actual human ratio and when i say troll i don't just mean somebody with whom i disagree i mean fake accounts bots and people who are only on there to you know to be instigators to be to be sharers of fake information you know i would post something and instead of getting honest engagement with people who perhaps disagree with me vehemently, I never minded having honest, passionate debate with people. But it's a waste of my time to argue with people who are not Canadian, who aren't Albertan, who are you know in a troll farm someplace uh, uh, in Eastern Europe. I mean, that is not a useful uh, exertion of my time as a senator. So I'm really hoping that I can continue to reach out to people through media. You know, I have my own podcast. I have my own YouTube channel. It's not like I've gone to hide in the woods, but I just don't want to be part of this Twitter game anymore.
0: Really interesting points. We'll leave it there. Paula, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for making some time for us here this afternoon.
2: Delight, and I will be happy to come back anytime.
0: And we'll talk to you then. All the best. There you go. Alberta Independent Senator Paula Simon. So an update on a couple of important pieces of legislation the Senate is going to tackle come the end of the month. The deal with big tech and social media and her own thoughts on her own interactions uh, with Twitter. She's made the decision that, you know, she just doesn't want to be there. It's not for her anymore. And I guess, you know, that's the argument with Twitter or any other social media. I mean, take it or leave it. Right. It would be a different conversation, I guess, if, you know, the senator was on here saying, I don't like Twitter. And so the government needs to do something about it. I don't think that case can be made, at least on, on this issue. Welcome back. Rob Brackenrich with you on this Tuesday afternoon. A few other things we'll get to in our time remaining. We will get back to more of your phone calls as well. Want to get to our next guest, Pride of Newfoundland and Labrador. Spent more than 15 seasons on this hour, has 22 minutes. He is the star of, the creator of, writer of, Son of a Critch, season two uh, of Son of a Critch, kicked off last week on CBC, of course, show based on the best-selling book. And Mark Rich is also the author of An Embarrassment of Critch's Immature Stories from My Grown-Up Life, now available in paperback. Joining us on the line is the uh, aforementioned, the one and only Mark Critch. Welcome to the program. Mark Rich, have you with us? Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, appreciate making some time for us. I mean, congrats on, on all of this. Uh, as mentioned, Season 2 of Son of a Critch uh, debuted last week, of course, uh, based on the book, which is based on your life. You know, the pressure, I would think, of you know, having a show based on you, based on your awkward childhood, uh, must be immense as, as much as it is rewarding. But what's this whole experience been like for you, first of all?
3: You know, it's been it's been quite strange. Um, <clears throat> I did the book first, and then my, my buddy, Tim McAuliffe, our co-creator, uh, he was a writer for shows like The Office in the States, and he's a Canadian guy, and he, uh, he said, you know, we should make this into a TV show. And at first I thought, oh, my God, nobody would be interested in that. <laughs> <laughs> and then... We got uh, running with Andrew Burnley, who is executive producer of Shit's Creek. And, and next thing you know, here we were. And uh, it's been a wonderful experience. Both my parents have been gone a few years now. The house I grew up in uh, was torn down in, in 1996, I think. Uh, so it's a bit weird when you're dressed. I play my dad on the show, so I'm dressed like my father in a recreation of our house with many of the things that were in my house when I grew up. So every now and then you're, you're looking around thinking, oh, my Lord, what have I done? Surely it would have been easier and cheaper just to go to therapy, but it's, uh, it's, it's been a wonderful experience.
0: <laughs> and not to take away from your star power, but you know, Malcolm McDowell, of course, part of the cast oh, yeah. uh, of the show. My goodness. How, how did that come about?
3: Well, people would know him from films like uh, clockwork orange yeah. and, and, and hundreds of others. <laughs> and, uh, Uh, We had this wonderful uh, casting director um, overseas because we were looking everywhere for a kid who could play me. and We found Benjamin Evan Ainsworth, this young boy over in England who uh, is uh, the voice of Pinocchio opposite Tom Hanks in the new Disney version of Pinocchio. And he was amazing. And then she said, you know, we've got this. I could call Malcolm McDowell. Oh, no, no. Could you please only focus (laughs) on people we might actually get? And they had a relationship. Got him the scripts. He loved those. Got him the book. He liked that. We had a, uh, a Zoom call, and, you know, Newfoundland is a, a bit like Liverpool where he grew up. He was looking to play something that wasn't, you know, a villain. <laughs> and uh, and he, he hopped on board. He loves uh, Canada. He, he loves Newfoundland. And uh, he's become a, a great collaborator and also a very dear friend. Lovely, lovely man.
0: So the the book and, of course, the show, Son of a Critch, based on, on your upbringing in Newfoundland and, and, you know, your own stories. Now, of course, we mentioned uh, your your second book, An Embarrassment of Critch is now out in, in paperback. Yeah. So this is sort of you going back and revisiting, you know, all of this, revisiting, you know, your career. And, and so it's a different kind of perspective. So what's, what's different, what's unique about this second book? Uh,
3: the second book is, you know, the first book is kind of getting me up through all my years in school and just starting an acting career. second one picks up where that uh, that ended. And uh, uh, it's, you know, the story of me trying to make it in show business in Canada, which is pretty tough. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and then all the different, uh, I had never left the province until I was, you know, in my good, good 20s kind of. And, the, and comedy showed me the world. The stories in there from Afghanistan, Russia, China, uh, the States, uh, Jordan, all over the place. And then finally coming back home where I realized, you know, um, there's still a lot of stories to tell there. So it's uh, it's really a, a, the stories of that people would know from, from 22 Minutes, interviewing a lot of celebrities and prime ministers and right. sneaking around and all that stuff as well.
0: And that's what's so unique about a show like 22 Minutes and, you know, the stories you have over the years of, you know, interacting with, you know, Stephen Harper, Jean Chrétien, Paul Martin, you know, on top of the the different celebrities. So it's not just about show business, not just about doing a, you know, a funny show, making comedy. You know, there's this whole other element to it.
3: Oh, yeah. Well, it's all those great stories of like, you know, uh, when you get to these events, people, you know, they don't, the Prime Minister usually doesn't know you're coming. So you have to sneak around, lie to security. Uh, hide for hours behind a uh, cinder block wall waiting for someone to <laughs> uh, come around the corner and then you hop out and then run away, get away, you know? So it's all those great stories of, of, of life on the road and, you know, uh, almost getting shot once in the States by uh, Bush's security and a million <laughs> stories like that. Um, so, and, you know, but wherever you go, uh, especially in this country, I mean, the great thing we have in this country is there's not many places where a comedian can just walk up to the leader of the country and make fun of them to their face, and they kind of stay there, you know, and unannounced. And, and that's a very Canadian thing. We've been doing it for 30 years now on 22 Minutes, and it's amazing that uh, that mounties will you know step aside and go oh prime minister here's that guy from newfoundland here to make fun of you and i was like oh i guess i gotta do this you had have to do it but for some reason in this country uh we're able to do it i have never seen it like this anywhere else so it's just one of the great perks of being canadian
0: well from your perspective then over the years as you did this i mean how did you approach it was it about this would make for a great segment this will be fun this will be funny Because obviously there were times, you know, when you guys made headlines. And I don't know, was that part of the intention or how did that factor in?
3: Well, what happens is you can plan for these things. You can write a bunch of jokes you want to get in. And then you can have something in your head. But really you had to throw all that aside when you get there. uh, Because things happen in the moment, you know. So you kind of have to roll with it. And the ones that become the big headlines are always the ones that, never were planned you know uh like uh, carolyn Parrish was an mp under paul martin and there were uh this is around time of the iraq war yes. and she had said <laughs> yes. some mean things about, about americans like i hate them and all this stuff and george bush is an idiot so i went there to try and repair that and i had a george bush doll with me and then she took the doll and threw it on the ground and stepped on it right and then they played the tape back on in the news and it became this big international incident people asked for her to resign she ended up getting boot from, booted from cabinet and all this stuff and you're just kind of there going, oh no, (laughs) what did I do? You know? And whatever we are meant to do was completely innocuous. But, so sometimes these things, they happen in a moment and and, and you can't plan them. You just have to kind of hold on. Uh, like, like being in the the Calgary Stampede on a bull or something.
0: (laughs) No kidding. Yeah, I remember that and that kind of went viral before, you know, before social media was even really a thing, right?
3: Oh, that was a thing. Like, we used to go viral before there was a viral, you know? And, uh, and with time, you know, there, then it becomes and those were the early days of the show and stuff, too, especially where it was more like running up and, 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 and ambushing someone. Whereas now, you know, it's hard to because people know the show so much and they know you and then they're coming in and they're like, oh, there's that guy. It's harder to surprise someone. So now it's kind of more accepted and, and you, you, the, people are more willing to come on the show. Uh, than they were in the past and, and you know some of these politicians are of the age of now where they grew up watching it which is very strange to hear you know when you go to ambush somebody and they say oh, I used to watch you with my parents it's like no, oh, uh, oh no I'm, I'm getting up there but it's, uh, it's it's been a wonderful opportunity and the great gift it's given me is something that uh, a lot of Canadians don't get is the ability to actually see our country and you know get to hear uh, people in Calgary, in British Columbia wherever um, and meet them and, and see what makes this country so so great uh, because I, sometimes Canadians are, you know, more excited to fly to Florida than they are to, you know, Yellowknife. Mm-hmm. But we, we need to, I think, uh, with all the divide lately in our country, I think if we, if we get to listening to each other and talking to each other more, I think we'll, we'll see we're all pretty much uh, in this together and on the same page yeah. and what a wonderful country we live in.
0: You know, it's interesting too. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to to uh, interview Sean Maguire, of course. You know, your colleague oh, yeah. from Twenty Two Minutes, and you know, fellow Newfoundlander. And you know, yeah. we, we're having the conversation that you know, with the the Come From Away, the Broadway show, and you know, yeah. it was such a smash, and how there's all this fascination now with with Newfoundland. Everyone knows, wants to know about Newfoundland. And he sort of made a joke about how Gander is a bit of a dump, <laughs> but it's oh. definitely true, right? That you know, everybody knows or or is kind of an expert now on, on Newfoundland. And you know, as we're talking about your show and being able to share you know, that, that part of the country and the culture and the stories? I don't know. Is, is there a different level of, is it a, a fascination now with Newfoundland? What is it?
3: I think people, you know, they, the musical was a huge thing. I mean, people have always been, there's always been a lot of Newfoundland comedians and musicians. And um, I, I think people are, for a TV show like ours, I think there's so much out there now. And there's so many different, you know, things that you could put your eyeballs on. I think something that's in a unique, different, kind of space that really you watch the show but you know where it is you know yeah. um and the place itself is a character in the show i think people like that but no matter where it is i think what is where it's set. i think what's important about our show is that um it's about a young kid feels like an outsider a bit of a nerd uh, everybody's fallen in love for the first time, everybody's been bullied, so even though, though it's in a different place, with different accent, I think people are really connecting to the core stories, which are the same things that happen to people in every province, in every country in the world, is mm-hmm. you know uh, I think we all feel like outsiders as well. so I think you can, you can uh, uh, get a bit of you know a place you've never been, but also some feelings uh, that you're going to certainly recognize as, as Memories that seem. People keep saying to me, "That happened to me," or "Oh my God, it's like watching my life." Even though they're of a the different nationality, different ba- background, what have you, they can still connect to the show.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's yeah some some universality to it. I mean, at the same yeah. time, there there is uh, you know an interesting bond between the province and and you know those it spawns, and you know there's there's a lot of expats obviously living and working in Alberta, but you know they're, they're still oh, yeah. Newfoundlanders, right? That that connection's always there. So there is something unique about that yeah, relationship. Think, How do I, I you explain that- it?
3: I think that comes from when we only joined in 49,
0: right?
3: Yeah. we were our own country for a time. And the thing that Newfoundland can be quite isolated. And you learn that sense of community. People say, oh, Newfoundlanders are very friendly and they're very giving, right, to charity and stuff. And they'll help you out, like the situation in comfortable way. And I think that comes from being on a rock in the middle of the ocean uh, in small communities, generally reliant on the fishery where, you know, you live next to the ocean. You learn pretty quick that that can take away life as well as give it. And what's important is in these communities is if a house burns down, you've got to build the other person that house because you're all in this together. And that's a great sense of community. Um, and also, as far as comedy goes, um, there's a lot of great storytellers, you know, because in these little isolated communities, you know, somebody had to play – the music, like you know, you had to have your Alan Doyle, right? And then somebody had to do something. Now somebody, and then somebody. If you couldn't do anything useful, well, boy, you better be able to tell a good story. So uh, we had great talkers, and um, and then being only joining in '49, I think, with the comedy and a lot of political comedians too, mm-hmm. uh, in in Newfoundland and Labrador, is I think it's looking in on something from the outside a little bit. You know, in the same way that. Canadians might look at America and go, oh, my God, look at look what's going on over there. Um, I think Newfoundlanders kind of looked at Canada and went like, oh, my God, look at these people. What's going on over here? And, uh, and, I, and I think that gives you a little bit of a, a different perspective. But Newfoundlanders, they can talk. And, uh, you know, whether it's me or Rick Mercer or Sean or whoever, uh, that's one, one uh, thing that the Canadians will always have, I think, is the happy Newfoundlanders.
0: Absolutely. Well, as mentioned, season two, Son of a Critch uh, kicked off last week on CBC. And of course, as mentioned, An Embarrassment of Critch is now available in paperback. Mark, thanks so much for making some time for us here this afternoon. Really appreciate this.
3: Oh, my God. Thanks for uh, all your support and all the support you give all our entertainers in Canada. Much appreciated.
0: All the best, Mark. Cheers. There you go. That's uh, Mark Critch, of course, uh, from this hour has 22 minutes. Uh, one of the uh, stars of the creator of and the writers of uh, Son of a Critch uh, book by the same name, of course, and uh, his latest an embarrassment of Critch is available now in paperback. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcast. You can also find me on Twitter at Rob Breckenridge. And you can email me rob at 770chqr.com. Talk to you next time.